We begin with the letter A. A is for... M is for murder. E is for... Danger! And, uh... Dodge. With... Monster. Help! Love me and be... Please! Help! Yeah. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of the Is For podcast. Tonight, recording live from Elm Street, uh, from the deepest corners of your dreams. I am your host, Monster, and with me this evening is... Danger. And I, I will say, I, uh, I am quite dreamy. I am. Or, I am somebody's yeah. dream or nightmare. I don't know. Or very vivid nightmare. Yes. Tonight, we are doing in for Nightmare on Elm Street. Now, a little backstory here. We tried this once before. So if something goes horribly wrong in the middle of this recording, it's just not meant to be. I guess we'll find out. Yes, we will. We will. For those who don't know, Nightmare on Elm Street is a slasher film from the uh, early 80s. Kind of gets lumped into the same category as the Halloween and Friday the 13th franchises, but with some notable differences that we'll, we'll get into here. Danger, what is your relationship with Nightmare on Elm Street? Because again, like I said before, we originally were going to do this episode last season, and Danger is actually the one who brought it to the table because he has a little bit of a love for this film. So I'll let him kind of gush over it for a second here. I absolutely do have a love for for this film and truth be told the series and it has been hard for me to separate do I like the movies or do I like the character of Freddy Krueger because the the character himself is phenomenal so you know I look at the second movie which was terrible and and ooh, it was, ooh, it was terrible. it's a fun watch but it's not a it's not a good movie but the third one fantastic you know, I even like, you know, the new nightmare, the Wes Craven's new nightmare, you know, how meta it got. And it was just a fun one. And that's the thing about them. While I love a good 80s slasher flick, I mean, to see kids just be handed to them, their fate and whatnot, there, there's something so fun about Freddy Krueger. He's pithy. He's got some really good one-liners. It was very creative in how they pulled off a lot of the stunts. Of course, I didn't know that when I was younger and I first saw the movie. I'm actually trying to remember when I first saw Nightmare on Elm Street and I can't remember. But it really is one of my all-time favorite horror movies. And I'm glad you brought up some of the sequels because as a little added bonus, we will get into some of the sequels and stuff, but as a little added bonus, I have included my definitive ranking of the entire series. Okay, now that is your ranking not mine. It is it is probably pretty accurate to the majority of people's ranking. All right, I will I will reserve opinion of your ranking until you share your ranking. <laughs> That's probably wrong, but you know, go on. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. And and to just kind of piggyback off of what you said about the the one-liners and the Freddy Krueger character, one of the reasons that I think a Nightmare on Elm Street especially the series or the, you know, franchise took off is because as physically imposing as Jason Voorhees and Mike Myers are, Freddy Krueger was the only one that talked. And 
even in the first film before it got a little silly by parts you know three and four he still had a lot more personality than than the other slashers of the era and something else i i really think goes unnoticed or at least underappreciated is the teens i feel like in the friday the 13th series especially the teens are just there for the body count whereas on nightmare on elm street you've got characters like nancy you've got characters like the dream warriors you have all these other teens that actually have a personality right that you actually kind of care about which i think makes this franchise at least in my opinion a little more interesting than some of the sequels in some of the other franchises some of the other uh franchises you know the friday the 13th halloween and whatnot especially friday the 13th the Characters are very one note. You know, you don't really see them yeah. return much. In Friday the 13th, you do see Nancy come back. And in Halloween, it's, oh, what's her face? Jamie Lee Curtis. Is Laurie, yeah. Laurie Strode. Yeah. yeah. You see Laurie come back. You know, so those characters have, you know, their their place in the franchise, in the movies. And there's not really that for any other franchise at all. While... Yes, the silence of of Jason Voorhees and Mike Myers, I think, is part of the intimidation of them. I think, you know, part of the intimidation of of Freddy Krueger is that he's just so damn bold and mm-hmm. forthcoming with what he's there to do. You get the impression that there's sort of this dead-eyed stare behind the mask with Jason and Michael, whereas Freddy... He seems to enjoy the chase. He likes, he relishes in what he's doing. And also with that being said, the inventiveness and the creativity involved by having that basically blank canvas of the dream world to work within, it's not just a hulking figure with a knife. It's this character that can manipulate time and space around him you know, in the subsequent subsequent sequels where it gets a little goofy, you know, he's using the power glove and he's turning people into bugs and it pizzas and all kinds of nonsense. But especially in the first couple films, it's still grounded enough in reality, but you have that like surreal dreamlike quality in the kills that, that I think really adds to the love of the franchise. You know, I think that, you know, if we had more Friday the Thirteenth movies now, I mean, we did get that remake that was okay. You know, it wasn't wasn't great. Didn't do anything to really make the franchise come back in any way, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I do like that they did give a little more backstory to the Freddy Krueger character that you didn't really get previously. Mm-hmm. But you know, it uh. Are you talking about the Nightmare on Elm Street remake? Because you said Friday the 13th. I did say Friday the 13th. You're right. Yes, the Nightmare on Elm Street movie. The the remake that came out, what was that? Okay, because the reason... 2010. And the reason I ask is because you said it's not an awful movie. And that is incorrect. It is a dumpster fire of a movie and should have never been made. Oh. So we're already here. Okay. No, it is absolute trash. And the fact that it even exists offends me. Okay. I don't think <laughs> it's an awful movie, but Ooh. 
I think the one thing that they actually really messed up on is that in the original movies, the, the original franchise, you had something that was also in all the other franchises of that era. And you and I have talked about this many times. Practical effects. The practical effects Absolutely. sell at all. Now, I'm a fan of practical effects enhanced by digital touches and whatnot. You know, Sam Raimi of Evil Dead, his practical effects are astounding that he works into into things. And, you know, especially that time with lower budgets, you had to use creativity to get mm-hmm. the effect that you were looking for. But, you know, even Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell, you know, the end where she oh, got sure. pulled down. Yeah, that was digital, but it was also practical. So I'm a fan of it. But I think that the heavily uh, leaning on digital effects like they do now overall and like they did in the Friday the 13th movie, the remake, they kind of Nightmare spoiled. on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street. Sorry, there was a <laughs> night, uh, Friday the 13th that, that also there was. came out. Yeah. Now that was shit. But as a lover of that franchise as well, that was shit. Like so, let's let's think about one of the remakes that I think they did pretty well, which was the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. You took a film that was a classic and meant a lot to a lot of horror fans, and instead of trying to redo it shot for shot, you tried to bring something new to the table. And you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is known for being this violent, brutal film, but there's really not a lot of blood or anything in it. It just is implied and it's psychological. So the remake decided to kind of push it a little bit more, made it a little more visceral. So they took the original concept and they kind of tweaked it a little bit. The Nightmare on Elm Street remake basically stole it shot for shot, but sucked the practical effects out of it and used these digital effects that look way worse. They look even less realistic. And then also sucked the life out of all the characters. I didn't want Freddy Krueger to be snipping one-liners like he does in parts four and five of the franchise, but Jackie Earl Haley doesn't even come close to creating a charismatic character. Not to mention Nancy and all the teens are just absolutely drab and forgettable. I see no merit in the remake whatsoever. Okay, so... I think that the Nightmare on Elm Street remake actually falls victim to something that happens to a lot of remakes, reboots, and things, where the movie itself is fine. You know, it's it's not great, it's fine. But it's knocked down an extra peg because they're calling it something else. Like, for instance, the last Fantastic Four movie we got was a fine movie, but they called it Fantastic Four and they changed so many details within the movie, within the confines of those characters that if they called it something else, it would have been okay, but it was seen as another fantastic four failure. And now I know that's recorded and I'm not going to be able to recall exactly what I said, but I will say the nightmare on Elm street remake is not a good movie. It's a fine movie at best. It's not, it's not fantastic. It's, it's okay, but I like it better than I like some other remakes, but also if they called it something else, we probably would have been more okay with it. If they would have called it The Nightmare Demon, I would have given it a 4 out of 10. Because they called it Friday the, or uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, I'll give it a 3 out of 10. It's, I mean, either way, it's a movie I'll never revisit and was like, 
like I've watched other horror movies that I've been hyped for and been like, ooh, that didn't live up to my expectations. I'm a little disappointed. That one made me like actively angry. Like that one was like so bad that it was like, oh, I wish it didn't exist. I don't wish it didn't exist. I'm okay with it being a part of uh, the lexicon of who we are. <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with that. But, you know, I think Jackie Early, Earl Haley played a very different Freddy Krueger. You know, sure. nobody is going to be Robert England. I mean, right. he is Freddy Krueger. And I hate and, to say and... that for an actor because an actor can do a lot more than just one sure, character. Sure. And he can. He can. And and also, and we'll get into this in a minute, uh, a little later on, but the other reason that it's so frustrating that the the 2010 reboot exists is because there is another reboot that is trying to be made that has not yet come off the ground. And when you hear some of the people involved in that one, it sounds like it's got a lot more potential than, than what they, they put out. But we'll get there. We'll get there. All right. All right. All right. So that is my relationship with Nightmare on Elm Street. I'm fine. <laughs> I'm fine with the remake. I don't have a major issue with it, although nothing will stand up to the original. I forget how many movies there are, and the TV show kind of convolutes it a bit. You know, that original franchise, I've seen all of them, and I love all of them. I can't tell you how many times I've watched the original. At one point, mm -hmm. it was a movie I'd put on to go to sleep to, which may not be the best to watch a movie yeah. about somebody who kills you in your dreams to go to sleep to, but whatever, you know. <laughs> So uh, just to kind of give a little bit of history of the film, I'm assuming, you know, some of these films that we talk about and franchises that we talk about are a little less pop culture centric. So maybe you haven't seen them or whatever, but I would be hard pressed to find someone that didn't have a passing knowledge of Freddy Krueger and at least the, the general gist of A Nightmare on Elm Street. But the very first film came out in uh, 1984, November 9th, 1984, and starred Heather Langenkamp as Nancy, John Saxon, Lynn Shay, um, and then of course, most people know it was Johnny Depp's very first film. Mm -hmm. um, and he played Glenn, and it kind of a, you can tell it's his first film. Like he's got the charm, but he doesn't quite have the chops yet. But he he does a serviceable job. You know, there's a part of Johnny Depp's performance in that movie that is completely overlooked, and I've never heard it talked about. But Johnny Depp does a wonderful job of pulling off a midriff shirt, <laughs> like I've never seen. When I picture Johnny Depp from that movie, all I see is a midriff shirt. Not that like I was looking at like. Johnny Depp's belly, but no, it's like, come on, man, put I him think, in a regular shirt. I think the people behind the cameras knew the star power they had. They knew they had a hunk, and they got to be the ones to show him off in their first in his first film. Well, was he already on uh, Twenty One Jump Street at that point? I don't, I believe so. Uh, I don't think so. Oh. Uh, to the interwebs, me... while you. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll look that up while we're while we're doing this. But yeah, so it it came out in 1984, and around this time you had all the other ones too, like Halloween and, and Friday the 13th. But the thing that really made Nightmare on Elm Street stand apart was the titular Freddy Krueger, played by Robert England. Yes, Robert England just exudes charisma. He is just a this absolute ball of energy. 
And what's crazy is for as menacing and frightening as he is in the first film, he becomes almost lovable as the series continues and you start to almost root for him, uh, which is a common trope in slasher films, I think. But it's it's even more so in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise because you do have such a talkative, charismatic killer as opposed to the big, strong, silent type of, of most of the slasher franchises. And to answer our question from before, no, he was in Nightmare on Elm Street in 84, and then he did Private Resort in 85. I don't know Private Resort, but then he started 21 Jump Street in 87. So he actually had a couple, he had a couple movies. He had a role in Platoon in, in 86. I didn't know that, but... I don't. Yeah, yeah I have to go back and watch that. Very one. small role, right? Like I believe I don't so. Even know if he's credited, yeah. No, he is credited, but I I don't remember him in it. Of course, I haven't seen that movie in a long time either. Yeah. So. so again, talking about the difference between the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise versus these other slasher franchises, the thing about Freddy Krueger is he's not bound by the rules of reality. He attacks you in your dreams. The only time you're vulnerable is when you fall asleep. But the thing about that is, guess what we all have to do to live is to sleep. With, you know, Jason Voorhees, don't go to Camp Crystal Lake. The, which, the which, thing... which Freddy Krueger attacks in dreams, except for at pool parties, like in the second movie. Now, in the second movie's defense, we weren't quite, we didn't have all the rules and the lore locked in yet. The first couple films, you're kind of working out the kinks. But yes, you're exactly right. And then also there are instances in the franchise where in order to defeat Freddy, he's pulled out of the, the nightmare world to, in reality to defeat him. But again, everyone has to sleep. So it's kind of a, yeah. it, in that way, it's a little more universally scary as opposed to some of these other slasher villains. Yeah, and actually something that I forgot to get to before that I kind of hit on is that if we had more Friday the 13th movies, if that had kicked off another part of the franchise, another, you know, did you mean Nightmare on Elm Street? Nightmare on Elm Street. Damn it. Why do I keep (laughs) doing that? Okay. We're going to have a drinking game with this episode. Every time danger says Friday the 13th, when he actually means Nightmare on Elm Street, take a shot. And if you're still coherent by the end of the episode, you have a very high alcohol count. Unless you're driving. Don't do it if you're driving. No, 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 no. Not while you're, you're driving. Yeah, yeah. Wear your seatbelt, boys and girls. So <laughs> I do think they would have leaned heavily on CGI and whatnot. But the dream sequences may have been cooler. I don't know. It's kind of a it's kind of a fine line. And, you know, the right person with CGI can be okay. But not if they lean too heavily on it. You still have to have some something for the actors to actually physically touched but go on go on for sure for sure so uh the film was written and directed by wes craven and wes craven is horror royalty uh he wrote and directed such classics as the hills have eyes the the original scream um last house on the left people under the stairs red eye uh his, his pedigree you know needs no defense and what's really funny is I feel like even all the way back here in the 70s and 80s, when he first got started, you could already see him being a little bit ahead of his time before he even got to the more meta world of Scream, which there is a lot of meta in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise as well. We'll get to that. 
But Wes Craven, absolute genius when it comes to horror films. And like most of the people in the horror community, when you see him speak, he is soft-spoken and very articulate. And he just seems like the sweetest man, yeah. which is pretty typical of, of the horror guy. Yeah, I'll, I've those, always I've always thought it was strange to see interviews with horror directors, or even when Wes Craven had a bit part in New Nightmare. You know, sure. he does not come off like somebody who would put out uh, Last House on the Left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was getting ready to say like you can kind of see like Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream and whatever, but for anyone who hasn't seen it, Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes are. They're just mean. They are oh, yeah. mean spirited. They're the kind of horror movies you feel like you need a shower after you watch. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Created now, by this very sweet man. Yeah. Now, um, I know I saw the original Hills Have Eyes. I know I did not see the remake of it. I don't really have any interest in going to it. But the imagery, the sounds, every all the parts of Last House on the Left just sticks in my brain. I mean, I've seen yeah. some... I have seen some truly terrible things. And that after all that was when I realized that I don't need to see all the things on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that, that movie is a hard watch. And I think by today's standards, some of the stuff that's in last house on the left is not that brutal anymore, but because of the kind of low grade grainy film stock, it feels a little bit more real. And that yeah. makes it kind of yeah. uncomfortable. Like I, I mentioned Texas Chainsaw Massacre earlier. There's no real blood or, or viscera in that movie. But because of the way it's shot, that low budget grainy vibe, you feel like you're watching something you found in the woods. Like you don't feel like you should be seeing. Now, I haven't seen the original in a long time, but I I remember blood mm -hmm. and stuff in that one and the remake exactly okay so i've fallen victim exactly. to the thing that we've talked about many times where we insert images and things that exist in it in movies the, but there's yeah. definitely blood and viscera in the remakes well and that's what i was saying before is yeah the the uh, uh remake of the original texas chainsaw massacre took the sort of oh uh, what's the word i'm looking for the the kind of um subdued nature of the violence the implied nature of the violence and and ramped it up to actual in-your-face violence oh yeah there's only one or two scenes in the original that you actually see the blood there's one or two moments in the original that actually have a little bit of gore to them right. other than that it's all psychological okay. but it's just a testament to toby hooper in that film just yep. how well he does that but back to nightmare on elm street uh, Wes Craven pulled from a couple different things to create this uh, Freddy Krueger character and this this whole premise. Um, do you know what some of these these are? Well, I know that the seed of it was planted in his brain when he read an article about somewhere like Cambodia, maybe. I can't remember exactly. There was a mm -hmm. kid mm -hmm. that was uh, reporting that he couldn't go to sleep because he was afraid that his dreams would uh, would kill him. And he was drinking copious amounts of coffee to stay awake. And then he went to sleep and he died. Yep. There was uh, a group of refugees that came from different parts of Cambodia and Vietnam. And they, when they came to America, they were suffering from these nightmares and they didn't want to sleep. 
some of them reporting having these horrendous nightmares and they would stay up for, uh, I think one kid stayed up for eight days, um, trying to, trying to combat this because he didn't want to go to sleep. And some of them would fall asleep and then they would die in their sleep. And Wes thought that was a really interesting idea. So he kind of ran with it. The actual, uh, name of Fred Krueger, do you know where that came from? Wasn't it a bully? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so the character of Freddy Krueger was based on two things from Wes Craven's past. The first was an actual bully he had by the name of Fred Krueger. And he had this really weird moment where he was a child and he saw this old homeless man that they say he might have been drunk, but he was just this like gangly old hermit guy that he saw staring at him from an alleyway. And so he was like, that's horrifying. I'm going to name that character Fred Krueger, and he's going to haunt nightmares. <laughs> okay. I didn't know that that second part. I knew that it was a bully, but that was it. Yeah. Um, and then the, the last thing that really sealed the deal is while he was thinking about all this stuff, he heard the song Dreamweaver by Gary Wright, and it all just came together. <laughs> oh, it's it's funny to think that Dreamweaver is one of the things that that pushed uh, Freddy Krueger, but Dreamweaver is also in one of my favorite comedies, Wayne's World. Well, you know what's funny is I always that's one of the songs where the hook is very catchy and pretty, but when it first starts and you have that like weird Chinese mm -hmm. synthesizer stuff, it sounds creepy. It yeah. doesn't sound pretty at all. If played in the right atmosphere, absolutely. I can 100% agree yeah. with you that it does sound creepy. So that was sort of the basis of, of like where Wes Craven got the idea from. The, the other thing that is I find very interesting is Freddy Krueger in the original franchise is a child murderer. Yes, which that's something that... That's one of the details I was talking about that they focused a bit more on the remake than they did in the original. Which was completely unnecessary, what they tried to do with Freddy Krueger. Like this weird, like, oh, he's this child murderer, molester, evil guy. Oh, wait, maybe he wasn't so bad. Oh, no, he's even worse than we thought. No, we've known this character for 30 years. He murders children. Let's not let's not dance around this I, this I idea. I don't remember the going back and forth. Of course, I did see it yes. like once a while ago. So maybe I'll revisit it and change it, my opinion. I don't know. I watched it one time, but in doing this research, I was kind of like looking up some stuff about the remake a little bit. Now, it was a very conscious decision by Wes Craven to leave the molestation stuff out. That was. It was okay if it was implied. It was okay if people kind of assumed it or thought it that way. But if you notice in the first film, actually in, in the entire original franchise, really, it never explicitly says he did anything other than murder the children. A big part of this was because around this time in California, there was the satanic panic yeah. uh, stuff that was going on. And there was a big news story about this, uh, specifically this one particular daycare where they were kind of yeah, getting yeah, yeah. these children. Yeah, I, I don't want to get into that. It's really gross. But Wes, the studio basically told Wes, and, and Wes was kind of cool with this, 
that they didn't want it to seem like they were capitalizing on that particular news story. So they decided to kind of steer clear of that and just keep it in with the the child murder stuff. Okay, so for anybody listening, a quick summary of what Monster was getting at is within the satanic panic, daycares were one of the casualties and it was talked about and rumored and it grew into where there was actually raids done on on daycares because they were being touted as these places to groom children into becoming slaves of sorts and it was a terrible awful completely false thing um every i don't know i would say 15 to 20 years we get another satanic panic of a different type okay that done if you want to know more about that listeners please go look it up yourself the satanic panic is an interesting thing to me overall but the only thing that we got in the first film that talked about who freddy krueger was was when nancy's mom uncharacteristically got drunk (laughs) and spilled out some beans about you know how he was killing children i take umbrage with one thing you said there uncharacteristically she is a sloppy drunk the entire film. <laughs> she, she, yeah, okay, I, you are, you are right on that. Yeah, okay. there's a couple I, scenes where she's literally drinking like vodka out the bottle, and Nancy walks in. And she's like, "I'll just put it behind my back." <laughs> like, yeah, it's not I completely obvious. Yeah, um, I, I don't know how I've not <laughs> put that together more because I ha- again, I have seen the movie a bunch of times. And I guess I was focusing on all the other things that were happening in the movie. There's a lot more happening. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot going on in that movie. And we'll get into some of the cool stuff in the movie. But before we move on, I will say this. I found this one really good quote from Wes Craven discussing the Freddy Krueger character as a whole. Um, He said, in a sense, Freddy stands for the worst of parenthood and adulthood. The dirty old man, the nasty father, and the adult who wants children to die rather than help them prosper. He is the boogeyman and the worst fear of children, the adult that's out to get them. He's a very primal figure, sort of like Kronos devouring his children, that evil, twisted, perverted father figure that wants to destroy and is able to get them at their most vulnerable moment, which is when they're asleep. Okay. I think... For, for younger audiences that it's almost impossible to watch the first Nightmare on Elm Street without being somewhat jaded by the years and years and years of uh, pop culture references and the silly stuff they see with Freddy Krueger, Rick and Morty. Like, it's hard to really take Freddy Krueger seriously anymore. But yeah. in the first film... Yes, he has some some banter. Yes, he talks a lot, but it's menacing. And it's, I think Wes Craven really did create an, an iconic horror villain. Oh, absolutely. That, absolutely. Now, granted, the sequels are, are what cemented him in pop culture history. But just out the gate, he was a fantastic creation. Oh, absolutely. Freddy will go down as one of the greatest I wouldn't just say horror icons, horror characters. I would say he's going he's gonna go down as one of the greatest characters. And part Absolutely. of and part of that is because I mean Wes Craven created him, but Robert England gave the character life in a way that nobody else could have. 
And okay. Robert England's delivery of some of the lines was perfect and spot on. Because, I mean, as we get further into the movies and the TV show and whatnot, Wes Craven had less and less to do with them. And so Robert England still had to bring that same energy. Of course, he did amp it up more as they went along. I think they did end up focusing more on Freddy Krueger's one-liners and whatnot. I would venture to say that a lot of his one-liners were probably ad-libbed. So you touched on like 12 things I want to I wanna piggyback off of. Okay, um, let's do it. So piggyback first, away. First, do you know who was considered for the role of Freddy Krueger before Robert England got it? Uh, probably somebody uh, that was a terrible choice, but go on. Well, the his first choice was a guy by the name of Dev, uh, David Wagner, and I'll be, or excuse me, David Warner, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not real sure. Let's see, David Warner, he was on Star Trek, um, he was on Tron, he was in a few um, genre pieces in the Mouth of Madness, but I'm I'm looking at his picture here, and I'm not even really familiar with who that is i don't re i don't recognize the name enough to yeah put a face with it now and it it went as far far as they even did makeup tests on him and they were like he's the guy um until there was a scheduling conflict and he couldn't do it so the first person who came in and talked to Wes craven about doing it was a guy by the name of kane hotter now is that name oh familiar? god <laughs> okay so <laughs> while kane hotter is a mountain of a man and has a quite a menacing presence he would have been a terrible freddy krueger kane hotter got his in the yes, friday the 13th you know he, Absolutely. he he got his role how many times did he play jason i want to say four or five okay but something like that yeah I mean, I have seen interviews with Kane Hodder, and he just does not have a personality. <laughs> he just he doesn't. Now, if this ever gets back to Kane Hodder, I, uh, I you're a wonderful man, wonderful personality. <laughs> He's yeah, absolutely. Please, please don't hurt me, you hulking massive of, of a human. And originally, I think that Wes Craven sort of because of Friday the Thirteenth, because of Halloween. That's what he thought he needed was this big hulking figure. But then when Robert England came in, who's a lot smaller and a lot more wiry, he loved it. Yeah. And I think that the way Robert England, like you said, his vocal performance, his uh, delivery on a lot of these lines are what really sells and creates this character. If I remember correctly from the research that I did before, Robert England was trying to be a stand-up comedian at one point. So he truly understood timing and delivery, which is why I think comedic actors can go into a drama better than a dramatic actor can go into a comedy. You oh, have to I agree. have and, a hold on that. And I think if two genres, like when you think of all the major genres of film, the two that I think are most directly linked are absolutely horror and comedy. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like those two require a certain element of timing, a certain element of delivery that drama and action and mystery don't necessarily encapsul encapsulate the same way. Absolutely. Um, so a couple other cool little things about the original filming, the high school that they filmed at was John Marshall High School in Los Angeles, California. Do you know what other films were, were shot here? I'm going to guess because it was a uh, high school in California that 
had a major movie filmed at it that it was other other movies ended up going to it to film there as well. Do you have any guesses though, specifically? Fast Times at Ridgemont High. You're on the right track, but not quite. Okay, go on, tell Grease me. Grease and Pretty in Pink. Okay, so I've come up with a theory recently about Grease, and I have to share it now that we're here. I think that Grease is actually not a movie about the boy and the girl, you know, R.I.P. Olivia Newton-John. I was just getting ready to say that, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a movie about pride because the entire movie was completely hindered on boy likes a girl that's outside of his social norm. When his friends are around, he's too prideful to admit that he likes her and tries to act cool. And then the entire movie is about redemption of pride. I will take your word for it. Greece is not one that I've seen more than like maybe once. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's a fan theory, but I'm not really a fan. So it's a theory. <laughs> so let's get into, uh, like I said before, I don't really want to get into the plot. I feel like most people have a general gist of, of what's going on here. If you, a... don't, if you don't understand the plot, I'll run through it real quick. Freddy Krueger kills kids in their dreams. Bravo. Thank Couldn't you. have said any better myself. Thank you. Thank you. I've been been working on that summarization for about 12 seconds and <laughs> there's and and the truth of the matter is there is actually some pretty cool character development there's some cool relationships between the kids and their parents and all this stuff and the uh, the original nightmare on elm street is a really good movie not just a horror movie it's a good movie like it's well made it's well shot oh, yeah. it's got it's got way more character in it than most of these kind of slasher b films do um, and if you have any interest in how practical effects are done, the behind the scenes of how they did the effects on Friday the 13th, or sorry, Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> Drink! Ah, I didn't finish it. I did not finish it. Anyway, oh, so the behind the scenes of how they did the, the effects on that movie is a masterclass in just how your brain should think if that's something remotely close to what you are interested in want to do anything like that sir i i owe i can't praise you enough for a masterful segue because the next thing i wanted to talk about was the practical effects in this film and how they were done i'm not gonna like labor this too much because of what you just said it's way more fun to watch it there is a incredible documentary it was on netflix i think it still is called never sleep again mm -hmm. i want to say it's like 10 hours long it goes through every single film in the franchise it talks to actors and actresses from every one of the films and it really dissects the franchise and there's tons of behind the scenes clips and video of how they did a lot of this stuff but just to run through a couple of the big set pieces in the film. So before go we ahead. go, before we go on, uh, there's three documentaries on Nightmare on or Friday the Thirteenth. Sorry, no, I almost I started to say the right you one. You did it backwards. I, what the hell is wrong with my brain tonight? Anyway, there's, I can't I can't go on. I'm going to get drunk. Yeah, I've actually got to open another beer. So anyway, there are three amazing documentaries: the Never Sleep Again. Uh, what was it? Red, white, and something like red, white, and yeah, blue, uh -huh, something uh -huh. like that. That was like a four-hour documentary, but it was really, really well done. I think that one's actually hosted by uh, Heather Langenkamp, Nancy, and 
there's actually a really, really great documentary on the Friday the 13th DVD that I have, and it's called The House That Freddy Built. I he did it again. <laughs> okay. The movie. The the movie. The we're just, I'm just gonna call it the movie. The Perfect. The, the movie that is the title of this episode. Oh, I love it. So anyway, there's a great documentary on that called The House That Freddy Built. It's a documentary yeah. about, you know, New Line Cinema, but it's about the importance of Freddy and the whole yeah. franchise to it and kind of how it grew. And it just gives a different look to the franchise and the importance of of the franchise. So, speaking of yeah, the beer. I was going <laughs> to say, because Robert Shea and, and um, you know, all those people at New Line. New Line was about bankrupt. And they took a chance on the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise and Freddy Krueger. And you're exactly right. That, that became the new name of New Line Cinema was the house that Freddy built. Because they would have gone under had it not been for this film specifically, but then all the subsequent sequels as well. Do you know the other film that actually uh, helped to keep them afloat a little bit more? Because yes, this movie did a lot to help push them forward, but they were you know, putting out B-movie schlock. But do you know what the other movie was that helped kind of push them up a little bit? Maybe, but but go ahead and tell me. They picked up the distribution rights for the first Ninja Turtles movie. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's right. I do remember seeing that logo now. Yeah. Yep. yep. Okay. So back to some of these practical effects. Um, I'm just going to read through this real quick. Uh, I stole all of this off the internet because, like I said, it's really interesting, but it's way more fun to watch it and actually see them do it. So you I'm just going to kind of run through this. When you see how simple some of the effects were, you almost oh, you almost feel like they cheated. Yes, and and just to to give people a little bit of a visual before I read read this little paragraph here, one of the coolest scenes is uh, one of the girls in the first 20, 30 minutes of the film gets gets axed off. Her name's Tina, and the her death, she's laying in bed and she gets lifted out of the bed. And she's like on the ceiling being ripped apart by Kruger while her boyfriend is staring at her hovering in the air. Now, obviously, she's asleep. She's in the dream world. Stuff's happening. But in the real world, this is what he's seeing. And right. She's up in the ceiling. So when you're watching the movie, you just see her rise from the bed. She's up in the ceiling. Blood's going everywhere. And it's just horrifying. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, the other big there there's two more the other big one though is johnny depp's death he's basically laying on his bed he's got his headphones on he's watching tv he's got all his stuff on him and then all of a sudden freddy krueger's glove like comes up out of the bed and pulls him in and when he does it sprays this evil dead two amount of blood just geysers all over the place it is absurd it is how much blood comes out of that ceiling and it, what's funny is there's a scene shortly thereafter when the like ambulance shows up and stuff where they have like buckets on the floor below because there's so much blood it's leaking through the floor. And then, of course, possibly the most iconic shot of the film when Heather Langenkamp, uh, Nancy, is in the bathtub and there's this incredible shot where she's laying in the bathtub and you see her knees sticking out of the water. 
and Freddy Krueger's glove comes right up, like right in between her legs. I mean, it's one of those striking visuals that kind of stays with you forever. In my opinion, um, it's it's one of the most iconic shots in film. It really is. It really, really is. So with all that being said, here, I'm going to read this real quick, some of some facts about the way they did some of this stuff. So during production, they used over 500 gallons of fake blood for the special effects. I um, do not remember ever knowing that, and it's so <laughs> wonderful. So they used a, most of that for the blood geyser sequence where with Johnny Depp, like we were just talking about. So for that sequence and the Tina sequence where she's up in the ceiling being ripped apart, they used this revolving room. Mm-hmm. Um, what they did was while filming the scenes, the cameraman and Craven were mounted in fixed seats and, and while the whole set rotated. Mm-hmm. Uh, the film crew inverted the set and attached the camera so that it looked like the room was right side up. Then they poured the red water into the room. For the geyser scene, they actually just used dyed water so it would flow better than trying to use like a syrupy stuff like in most of these films. That would be so much fake blood, syrup, caro yes. jelly, whatever. It, that would be an absurd amount. So I understand, but also it does flow so well. It just comes out with such pressure. Yes. It's wonderful. Uh, so when they were doing the scene, the water poured out like so heavy that it actually caused the rotating room to spin. And much of the water was spilled out of the bedroom window, just covering Wes Craven and the crew and, and all kinds of stuff. So when they were doing the boiler room, uh, they constructed a, uh, oh, 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 this is cool. So they had a deleted scene where they created this sleeping place for Freddy uh, that basically made him look like a homeless hobo. And it was filled with like weird, creepy stuff. Like they had tons of naked Barbie dolls everywhere. And they actually showed like how he he created his glove. And if you remember in the in the actual film, the opening uh, credit sequence actually shows him creating the mm-hmm. finger gloves yep. which is a really cool way to introduce like kind of what you're getting into without giving anything away right out the gate well that's something they don't do in movies anymore and you know they show you something that tells you so much about what's about to happen and exactly they don't do that kind of stuff in movies anymore you know, in the past, it's been an opening credits. They'll tell an entire story while, you know, names and stuff are going on the screen. And you're just, you know, watching the camera pan over pictures or whatever. And then that gives you all that you need to know to know what's going on. Now they have to spend the first, I don't know, 10, 20 minutes of a movie catching you up on things instead of just, you know. Right. Because they got to put some catchy song at the beginning and do whatever. Blah, it's stupid. Talking about the bathroom, the the bathtub scene. So what they did was they built a bathtub that was basically on top of a swimming pool. Mm-hmm. Um, and they and Nancy or Heather Langkamp floated to the top to get that that iconic shot. But then in the film, uh, she does doze off while she's sleeping, so Freddie gets her and pulls her under the water. Obviously, a bathtub, you know, there's no water there. But they pull her down into this giant vat of water because they shot it in the swimming pool. Yeah. Um, and then there's one other cool scene where uh, in the dream world, Nancy is running from Freddy Krueger and he go- she goes to get on 
the staircase to run upstairs yep. and the stairs kind of melt around her feet and she kind of like gets stuck. They use pancake mix mm -hmm. to get that stretchy gooey material, which was actually um, Robert Shea, the producer. That was something that happened in his dream before and he was like this freaked me out let's put this in the movie and it, it's a great shot and it's so effective and it's just pancake mix it's yeah you know now they would spend a million dollars on just that one shot and digitize it and it would look bad but just pour some bisquick in there and uh get your Same. shot okay great example the another one of those iconic shots from the film nancy is sleeping in this bed and above her Freddy Krueger kind of comes out of the wall. Like you see his head and you see his hands. Like and he the, just uh, stretches out over her. Yeah. So it's like down, it, like his hands and all are pressing out of the drywall. You know? Yes. Yeah. And it is very creepy and very effective. And it was done by putting a piece of spandex. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't Robert England. It was um, somebody it was else some, on the set. I can't remember yeah. who it was. And yeah, and just kind of lean forward and it looks so good and creepy. Yet another thing they completely ruined in the remake with their 2001 looking special effects. Which but actually, yeah, that's another 2001 is fantastic practical effects masterclass as well. I mean, okay, you're right. I meant the year, but you're talking about <laughs> the film and you're absolutely correct. Stanley Kubrick is a genius, although terrifying. Was, was a genius. Fair enough. Yeah. Are you so? Yeah, if you want to see some more of this cool stuff, you need to watch the movie and you need to watch these documentaries. Something else pretty cool, and you probably know this, but I don't know if a lot of our listeners will know this. Do you know the fun loving sort of rivalry between Wes Craven and Sam Raimi? Yeah, I know that they've put things in each one of their movies. Like yes. in Evil Dead 2, there was something in one of the sheds. It was Freddy's glove in, in the shed. Yeah, so, I mean, so here's what happened. They've, they've gone back and forth through a couple of their movies. In the original Evil Dead, which predates Nightmare on Elm Street, Sam Raimi put a picture of the Hills Have Eyes poster in the back of the basement, and he had it ripped up. And the idea was, you thought that was scary. Wait till you watch my movie. Mm -hmm. So in Nightmare on Elm Street, when Nancy is trying to stay awake, She's watching Evil Dead on Wool TV. So for Evil Dead 2, there's a scene where in the shed, Ash is, is chainsawing up his girlfriend, and there's a Freddy Krueger glove hanging up in the in the shed, and blood gets splattered all over it. And and I'm assuming Wes Craven probably fired back, but that's that's it for there. A lot of the um like second unit filming for Nightmare on Elm Street was done by Sean Cunningham. Yeah. That name should be very familiar to horror fans, writer director of the original Friday the 13th. And he also worked with Wes Craven on last house on the left. Yeah. Friday the 13th, the movie that I keep mixing the name up <laughs> for this episode for whatever reason. I don't, I don't know. I don't so, have a good uh, excuse for myself. So, for people who aren't super familiar with the film like we are, to defeat Freddy Krueger, they decide to bring him out of the dream world into the real world and basically beat the shit out of him, uh, kind of Home Alone style. Like, there's a bunch of, like, booby traps and gadgets and stuff. And 
your mileage may vary on how much you enjoy that part of it. Some of it's right. cool. Some of it's a little campy, but it's fun. It's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, it's, it's fun. Um, but then the very, very end is a point of contention for a lot of big horror fans. Yeah. Um, the way the film ends is basically the most happily ever after the sun is shining, the birds are singing. Nancy goes to get in the car with her friends. Friends who died earlier in the film are now alive again. And kind of like the Friday the 13th ending, I meant to say Friday the 13th, thank you very much, you get wrapped up in that false sense of security. security. And her mother is standing on the porch waving by. Not drunk. The, no, she even says, I decided to quit drinking. Just, <laughs> just willy-nilly. I need to um, watch it again. It's been a while. It's it, yeah. yeah. So they sit down in a convertible. And the top of the convertible comes over, and it's red and green striped, just like Freddy Krueger's sweater. And as they drive off, Nancy's mom is waving. When Freddy Krueger busts through the window, grabs her, and rips her through the glass. Yep. For as incredible as these practical effects are, for some reason, she turns into a rubber blow-up doll. Yes. And it's incredibly obvious. Needless to say... That was not the original ending. No, of the film. no, it wasn't. In um, fact, if I remember correctly, Wes Craven fought them on fought the studio. That was like the one studio meddling moment that is blaringly obvious. And here's why. Because Wes Craven wanted to do a one off scary mm -hmm. movie. And Robert Shea and the rest of New Line Cinema said, hold on a minute. Yeah. We can milk the shit out of this guy. And they did. And, and they absolutely did. Just to get into some numbers here, when it was originally released, November 9th, 1984, it opened in only 165 cinemas. And it grossed $1.27 in its opening weekend, which obviously they started to show it in a ton of other theaters after that. Wait, they, did, you, the, did you say what the budget was? Uh, I... Didn't, but it was one point one million. One point one million, and how? And it made one point two opening weekend. Yes, okay. opening weekend. It would go on to make twenty five million in the United States and Canada, and fifty seven million worldwide. And that is in the theater. This is one of those films, early eighties into the the franchise runs into the nineties that people would rent on VHS constantly. So this thing just kept on making money. That, uh, so one, 1. 1.1 to 25. That's a return. That's a return people. That's a return. Uh, do you have a lifetime gross? Uh, I do not. Okay. Uh, lifetime gross is, is massive. Yeah. Cause I mean, we're looking at the sequels for a lifetime gross, you know, it gets wrapped right. up in all those. And so that's, that, that's gotta be just an absolutely absurd number. Yeah. Um, so I'll include it in as, the notes on this episode. Perfect. So as usual, wanted to just talk about the main film. Um, there's a lot there that's, I mean, it's a classic horror film, so I didn't really want to get into a lot of the sequels. However, the sequels, especially the first couple sequels are very, um, they're they're well known for different reasons. Yes, absolutely. Um, shortly after, uh, just one year later, in 1985, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge came out. Now, if you don't know anything about this, it has been called 
the gayest horror movie of all time. It has. Um, it has for a reason. The yes, absolutely. And there is an incredibly good uh, documentary called Scream Queens about the the main actor from uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Two. God, it, um, his name's escaping me. Give me just one second. I'll pull it up here. Mark Patton. There we go. He played Jesse Walsh. Mark. Patton. He was a closeted Mark Patton. He was a closeted gay man uh, at the time of filming, but just because of who he was and some of the undertones of the film, there's a lot of of homosexual uh, overtones. Yeah, I don't even want to say undertones. They are overtones. Yes, they yeah, are they very... are not undertones. Yeah, no. And if I remember in one of those documentaries, I get them mixed up. Wes Craven's talk about how none of them saw it, you know, no, none of the producers saw it. It was in, it wasn't until the final cut of the movie, the screening, where they were going, "Oh, how, how did we miss this?" <laughs> yes, retroactively has become a cult hit. Uh, when it first came out, I don't think people got it. The like you said earlier, the lore exactly how the mechanics of Freddy and the dream world wasn't quite sorted out yet. So it was a, felt a little disjointed, but retroactively has become kind of a staple, um, especially in the queer horror community, mm-hmm. which is massive. Like it's I much bigger people... than I thought it was, you know, yes, it, I've um, re- recently come across quite a few movies that are directly for that, one of my, yeah, one of my favorite podcasts, and they're not paying me to say this, but I'd be, I would happily do that for them. Is horror queers? It's a it's a podcast put on by Bloody Disgusting, and it's two gay men who discuss gay tropes and horror films. And it's one of my favorite podcasts. Those two guys are great, and um, I'll check that. Yeah, absolutely. And they they actually did a whole thing on on the nightmare on Elm street part two and then subsequent sequels came on out they all together they did six mainline films and then they did uh the west craven's new nightmare so basically the plot of a new nightmare is heather langenkamp who played nancy is heather langenkamp in real life mm-hmm. and freddy krueger really exists as a fictional character played by Robert England. Right. And a demon comes to attack Heather Langenkamp and takes the form of Freddy Krueger to basically try to torment her. Yeah. Um, if you're a fan of Scream, if you're a fan of that meta self-aware horror, A New Nightmare is very cool. You can tell he's working out the kinks. Scream is a lot smoother. But a new nightmare has a lot of the same tropes and it works really, really well. Yeah, it it would be impossible to think that he wasn't working on the idea, if not working on the script already for Scream, you know, and, oh, and putting that through. It was almost like he was he used New Nightmare and them getting him to come back to the the trilogy or not trilogy, excuse me, the franchise because it's mm-hmm. one and three, but. You know, coming back to the franchise, it's almost like he was going, okay, got this franchise. I had this new idea. We're, I'm going to work on this new idea and some of the things, the ideas within it. 
in this old franchise that has gone off the rails in certain directions. Now, you know, gone off the rails in a certain way, probably way more than what he thought, way bigger than what he thought. But New Nightmare is so good, in my opinion. It's just, it's, you yeah. know, I don't feel like it's a traditional Freddy Krueger Nightmare on Elm Street movie by any means. I mean, do they even go to Elm Street in that movie? I don't remember. I No, I, not really. No. Yeah. So... <laughs> It's you know, not even, in a matter of fact, Nightmare on Elm Street is not even in the title. That's true. It's called Wes Craven's, Craven's A New Nightmare. Yeah. That's, yeah. So in in just characters, it's a, a Nightmare on Elm Street movie, but it's such a fun movie to me because it does poke at that meta button that we all have. Yeah. You know. So, so two more little facts, and then I'm going to give you Monster's official ranking of the franchise. So as we discussed earlier, Johnny Depp, this was his first film. He didn't even really audition for the part. Yep. He was actually coming with his friend who was auditioning for the part. And Johnny Depp ended up getting the part instead. Do you know who that friend was? I don't. It was a young actor by the name of Jackie Earl Haley. Oh, really? Jackie Earl Haley did not get the part of Glenn. That went to Johnny Depp. Jackie Earl Haley, though, would very memorably play the part of Freddy Krueger in the 2010 remake, reboot of Nightmare on Elm Street, a film beloved by Danger and panned widely by every other person on the planet. I would not, um, I would not say <laughs> beloved. I would not say beloved. I would say accepted. Accepted. That's even that's even too nice. That's no, too no. generous. Accepting that accepting that it's a movie. <laughs> that's true. It is a film that exists. <laughs> I can't argue with you on that part. And here's why it frustrates me how bad it is. Did you know another reboot was pitched around Hollywood that was going to be produced by Elijah Wood? Now, for those of you who don't know, Elijah Wood obviously is a well-known actor. He played Frodo in the Lord of the Rings films. He is also a big-time horror movie fan. Oh, oh and, yeah. And he has produced Mandy, The Shape Out of Color. Which, he, are, he was, which are both very odd horror movies. They're Oh, yes. They're not. They're very weird. They're not like mainstream, go out and watch it. You know, not everybody's going to like those movies. Sure. They're, I liked them. Uh, his remake of Maniac, that is predominantly first person, is, again, I'm not going to say it's a great movie, but just the fact that he tried it and what he did with it was incredibly interesting. Um, Absolutely. I don't know. And, I don't know the movie. I haven't seen it, but the fact that he, the fact yeah. that he tries to not exist but excel in this dabble in this other world that his movies have never really been and if you actually go back and look at elijah wood's credits i mean he's done a lot of crazy stuff mm -hmm. i mean what what was the show he did with the talking dog where they smoked pot the whole time wilfred. um wilfred yes my dad loved that show what a weird show oh you know oh yeah i i loved it too but i think i loved it because it was weird but yeah it was yeah. it was a very weird movie and, and so, of course, you know, the Jackie Earl Haley thing, trying to play Freddy, and it was weird and didn't really work out well. 
you know, obviously Robert England, you know, it's like the Ash and, and Bruce Campbell thing. It's like, you can't have this character without Robert England. And even Robert England said, I'm getting too old for this. I, I don't, you know, do you know who he suggested should take the reins as Freddy Krueger? Who? Kevin Bacon. The movies would smell better. Since you just brought this to a screeching halt, I will go ahead and move on to Monsters Official Nightmare on Elm Street franchise ranking. Okay. I'm excluding the 2010 reboot uh, because, like I said before, it is a dumpster fire and no one should watch it. And I don't think so Kevin Bacon could, could be Freddy Krueger. I, I don't. And we're not going to get much life out of whatever version of Freddy Krueger Kevin Bacon comes up with because Kevin Bacon's up there. When Robert England made that quote, I believe it was a, a handful of years ago, Kevin Bacon today versus Kevin Bacon around the er, era of Hollow Man, maybe. I yeah. could kind of see it. Tremors, he was a little unhinged there. But no, I think Kevin Bacon now is getting to an age where I honestly don't really don't really know who would be a good fit for it. Uh, I saw someone compare the analogy to like the joker um yeah the world has shown that if you have the right talent in place other actors can take their interpretation of a character and make it equally as enticing you might prefer jack nicholson to heath ledger uh heath ledger or um the the guy in in the batman i haven't seen it yet but i know his little cameo is pretty pretty cool robert pattinson um yeah, the Robert Pattinson Batman. He did a phenomenal um, job. I, I really liked him. He played more of an emo Batman, but I liked him. Well, not not just Robert Pattinson, but the the actor who plays the Joker in oh. the new Batman. He he's got one scene. He's like blurry. He's in a psych ward or something. Um, yeah, I'm not gonna I'm give just, out spoilers for that one. Just yeah, not gonna, not gonna uh, Joaquin Phoenix. You know. Anyway, I'm not saying another person could not play. Freddy Krueger and do it well. I just think the first attempt at it was so bad that they're scared now to see where it goes. Which um, actually Heath Ledger showed me that casting choices mean nothing for the performance because I thought Heath Ledger was going to do a terrible job as a Joker and he same. blew it out of the water. So same. cast who you want to in a role, but cast somebody that's talented enough to do it and let their performance prove me wrong. Absolutely. So, Monsters Official Franchise Ranking. You ready? All right, let's do it. Let me start off by saying eight, seven, and six. I don't really care. You can move these around however you want. I kind of put all three of these in the same place. Number eight, I have Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Number seven, I have Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. And number six, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, Dream Master. All three of these movies suffer from the same thing. They all have some inventive kills. They all have some decent characters. But it's so goofy. They're just, they're interchangeable to me. I, I'm not going to disagree with you, but I'm also not going to agree with you. I don't think those are interchangeable. I think that... While, yes, they are goofy, I think that that was when we really started to get into where Robert England was given a lot more control over the character because he was the character at that point, and he was given a lot more probably ad-lib ability 
you know, so I wouldn't say it was more goofy. I would just say you had more Freddy being Freddy in those movies. And I will, and I will be transparent. I am not as well versed in those three as I am the rest of the list. I've seen all three of those at least two or three times each, but they are not the ones that I go back and revisit when I'm like, I want to watch a nightmare on Elm street movie. I rarely put those in. I can honestly say I've seen those less than a handful of times. Exactly. Yeah. But my top five, and I think I stick by these number five, is Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Um, We've already talked on this one a little bit. Watching it through a 2022 lens, I think, is far more interesting than when it came out in 1985. The the landscape has changed so much that I think it's a very interesting film. It doesn't always work, but it's, it's still... It's hilarious in some moments. It's disturbing in some moments. And... The, the homosexual aspect gives it a different flavor than, than any other film in the series. Yeah, absolutely. I will agree with you on that. Number four, Wes Craven's A New Nightmare. Uh, came out in 1994, two years before Scream. You started to feel the meta part of Wes Craven. I don't remember if I said this earlier. Wes Craven had literally nothing to do with these sequels. Absolutely nothing. He didn't want to make sequels. He didn't want to make a franchise. He had nothing to do with these. So Wes Craven's A New Nightmare was basically him coming back to the series to kill Freddy off. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say poke fun at the series, but the meta aspect of how Freddy became this huge icon, that was all Wes Craven, basically his opinions on the franchise at that time. Yep. So it makes it a very smart, fun film. Number three, Freddy versus Jason. Oh, ah, oh. <laughs> Ah, I completely forgot that that was even a thing, and you put it there at the top. Please yes. defend yourself, and I'm not going to give you more than two minutes to defend yourself. Don't need more than two minutes. This movie is so much fun. Two minutes is being you, gracious. If you don't think this movie is fun, I, I don't know what to tell you. Even if you're not a horror movie fan, this movie is goofy. It's over the top. It's ridiculous. The premise is simple. But it kind of makes sense. Freddy Krueger has no power unless people believe in him. So he brings Jason Voorhees back to life to scare people so he can get his power back. The kills are cool. The actual fight sequences between Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees kick a lot of ass. Everything's on fire. There's blood everywhere. Is it good? Not necessarily, but is it more fun than a lot of these other movies? Absolutely. I have talked, I I have talked at length over my lifetime and I've said it several times here. I know that I talked about this theory that I have in our TRL episode and I feel like, okay, so first off, let me start with what year did it come out? Any idea? 2003. Okay. Okay. Almost fits into it, but it does just by what it is. The period of time we had between 1998 to 2002 was a time period that put out garbage in pop culture. Not everything, because there was a lot of good stuff in there. There there really honestly was. And I know you and I have differing opinions on what was good in that time period, but... Yes, we do. Yeah. But 
I, I feel like even though this movie came out in 2003, it may as well have been like, uh, it, it's like 2002 threw up on 2003 a little bit. Look, just because Il Nino and Static X were on the soundtrack doesn't mean you can be this disrespectful, okay? Just because this is the new metal entry of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Okay, so if, what was it, uh... Jason Space Ranger or Jason Goes to Space, Jason X, whatever it was. Jason um, X, uh-huh. Yeah. It, this basically feels like that movie with a little Freddy Krueger in it. It just, oh, it was, uh oh, oh. I will say. This I is basically say, the Alien versus Predator of both of those universes. Okay, except this film feels like it was done by people who are actually familiar with both franchises and we're trying to actually put something together that the fans would like. I'm not saying it's great. I'm saying that it. I have more fun watching this one than I do any of those other Nightmare on Elm Street movies. All right, all right. I will give you fun, because we all have a different different definition of what fun is. I'll give you fun. Robert England does an incredible job of actually, in my opinion, this is one of his better Freddy Krueger performances because he actually balances the goofy quippiness of the, the later entries with the scarier vibe of the first couple entries. If you don't stop looking at me like that with your smug attitude, this movie is awesome. You probably haven't seen it in years. If you go back and watch it again and just sit back, relax, have a couple drinks first, it is going to be a blast. You're going to have a ton of fun with it. All right. All right. So what all you're right, saying number... is to enjoy this movie at its peak, I have to be a little intoxicated. <laughs> I'm saying it wouldn't hurt. Okay. All right. Go number, on. Go on. Number two, Nightmare on Elm Street, part three, The Dream Warriors. All right. I'll give it to you. Um, for, for most people, I think this is where this ranked. Obviously, for those of you who, who don't know, uh, part three of the dream warriors is essentially a group of teenagers have this sleeping problem. They're all experiencing Freddy Krueger, but they start to learn how to control their dreams and they start to learn how to basically combat him in the dream world. Um, they all, you know, there's one kid who's in, bound in a wheelchair in real life. So he becomes a wizard who can walk in the dream world. You know, they basically use their weaknesses in real life as strengths in the dream world to fight him. For me, I think this might be the best Robert England Freddy Krueger performance there is. It's still creepy in the like the first two, but it's quippy and fun like the later entries. He's menacing and charming all at the same time. Some of the most memorable one-liners that you hear all the time come from this film. I think this is almost on par with the original in a lot of ways. Even even Nancy comes back. Heather Langenkamp comes back as Nancy as a counselor. A lot of great performances by the kids. This one is a lot of fun. There's some incredibly inventive kills. Highly, highly recommend this one. Do you know who we actually uh, meet in this movie? And I don't know if we meet him as in his first role ever. Kind of doubt that. But we actually meet a future superstar. You're talking about Lawrence Fishburne? Larry Fishburne. <laughs> he, 
He's credited as Larry Fishburne. <laughs> okay, you knew him from Dream Warriors. I knew him as Cowboy Curtis from Pee Wee's Playhouse. Oh no, no, which like did come later, which did yeah. come later. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So I'm just saying, like, you know, this was one of his earliest roles. You know, it was. Yeah, it's. I knew him from there as well, but this is where I first saw him that I can remember is is this Larry Fishburne. And then, and then, obviously, number one, the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. I mean, it's a classic. I, with a lot of these film franchises, we were discussing earlier: Friday the Thirteenth, Halloween, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Almost every single one of those is a bona fide horror classic. Mm-hmm. The sequels, the reboots, all of that. Your mileage may vary on how much you enjoy them but none of them live up to the standard set by the original. Um, Absolutely. There are the rare occasions when sequels surpass the originals. That might come up later this season. But when it comes to these films particularly, the original is almost unanimously the best in the franchise. And Nightmare on Elm Street is no exception. Agreed. Agreed. I mean, the the horror genre, you have in almost every major franchise, that first movie sets the tone. And, Absolutely. And the tone of a great horror movie is fear. So it's not the jump scares. No, no, it's, it's never the jump scares. I, I th- again, this is one of my favorite horror movie franchises because I feel like even in the later sequels, when Freddy Krueger, becomes kind of a parody of himself it's still fun it's still entertaining it's not boring i think when you get into part seven and eight and nine of friday the 13th and halloween and those franchises they start to get boring um so i I at least credit friday the 13th for that yeah or nightmare on elm street oh my god you made me do it and I went I, the whole episode until right now, you son of a bitch. And I didn't even like correct you on it. I was actually just going to let you slide with it because I'm I'm that kind of friend that even Ugh. that I'll I'll even I'll let you look like a fool and support you in it. You Thank had you. to call me out on my foolishness the whole time. Actually, just my brain my brain gaps. So that is it for in. It's for the Nightmare on Elm Street, but um. You know, everyone thinks Michael Jackson's music is is good, but I listened to one of his songs. It was bad. It's, it's, it's a pretty good one. I like that. Thank you, thank you. As a Michael Jackson fan, I I couldn't wait. Yeah, that's 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 not bad. So, you know, we talked earlier about the scene where Nancy was running up the stairs. Mm-hmm. I don't trust stairs. They're always up to something. Well, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street is a franchise about a a demon that attacks you in your uh, nightmares. But as most people know, Monster here is a huge fan of zombies. Did you hear about the dyslexic zombie? No. He's been going around town eating all the Bryans. That's a a good (laughs) one as well. You've uh... (laughs) a... You're bringing fire tonight. I am. I am. I'm ready. So after watching so many horror movies, it would be uh, it'd be a good idea to maybe 
to maybe buy some books on psychology. And mm -hmm. uh, I'm writing my first book on reverse psychology. Please don't buy it. I complimented you on this earlier, but I'm going to compliment you again. You are blessing me with segues. Speaking of books, <laughs> you know why Pennywise hates playing tag? Why? Because he's always it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I say we end it right there. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Fine. We'll end it there. We'll end it there. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, you have to wait uh, another week for some more bad jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. They're coming. Oh, yeah. But thank you for joining us this evening for the letter N is for Nightmare on Elm Street. I hope you enjoyed. I am Monster. With me is... Danger. And might I say that this episode went swimmingly better <laughs> than, than our previous attempt. Only if you promise me the red light is still on and you actually recorded this one. It is. It is. They were already better than we were last time. True. True. <laughs> All right. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming back again. We appreciate it every time. You know, this is the first episode, great. Thank you for checking us out. Check out some old episodes. If you have been sticking with us this long, you know, um, you've got history with us. And, you know, you're growing. Growing with us. Thank you for coming back. Good night. Bye. It's over. Done. Done.